the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. The aforementioned James Fishback joins us now. I'm so grateful, James, that you're joining us. I'm I'm grateful you wrote this piece for the free press. I'm grateful for the free press. Uh, Barry Weiss's publication is is a great resource for so many people, me included. So you, you have been a debater in your past, you know, you, you, so you kind of come from this world of, of debate. What, what sparked your interest in, in doing this article? I was really concerned about an activity that changed my life. So many successful ideas came out of this, right? And it changed my life in such a big, big way. What I saw happening, I just couldn't stay silent. You know, I competed in high school debate for four years from 2009 to 2013, went off to college and then came back in 17 as a debate coach. And it was when I came back as a debate coach, I really saw this ideological hijacking of what was once a free speech bastion where any idea could be challenged, any conventional wisdom could be questioned. And that's no longer the case today. How did these judges... Of course, you can, I guess, register yourself as a debate judge and have certain qualifications. I'm assuming that's what is required. But with these these paradigms, first of all, for our listeners and viewers who didn't hear this original story, describe what a paradigm of a debate judge is. Absolutely. A, a paradigm is essentially an online blog post where a judge gets to post their thoughts, their expectations for the debate round. Now, originally, Michelle, the way paradigms would work is if you were going to come out to judge a debate tournament, you might say, I really like primary source evidence, and I don't like students who speak at 350 words a minute. So could you slow down for me? And so it wasn't a political, it was a very just style, uh, some, some, some speed, some presentation, tips for each individual has their own preferences there. But what paradigms ended up becoming when I came back to high school debate in 2017 is they became riddled with political and ideological statements and these sort of purity tests where, as you read in the article for the free press, one judge says, look, if you even mention the term illegal immigration, you're done. You lose the round. And I'm going to interrupt you the second you say that and then ridicule and humiliate you so you never make that mistake. Again, Lila Lavender, who we opened the piece up with, says to her students, I'm a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist. Before being a debate judge, therefore, I cannot evaluate certain arguments, pro-Israel, pro-capitalism, pro-police. And so what students end up doing is they have to conform, Michelle. If a student walks into that round with an argument about oh, maybe capitalism can help the bottom billion. Maybe it can reduce poverty. Maybe Israel does have a right to defend itself. Maybe the police, as we found out over the last couple of years, does play a really important role in making sure our communities are safe. Those arguments are not going to fly. And then it creates this echo chamber where this becomes a vicious cycle where no student 
wants to deviate from that prevailing orthodoxy. That is terrifying to me because that's that is basically shutting down free speech. Not basically. Right. That is shutting down free speech. How do these debate judges continue to have a role in this in this whole system? Because I, to me, if I'm organizing a debate and I'm hiring judges or whatever, I'm bringing on judges, I'm looking at these paradigms. And I'm like, no, you cannot bring that judge into this to this competition. How is, how are they continuing to maintain jobs? It's a feature, not a bug. The NSDA wants these types of judges. Look, they had an, they've had every single opportunity over the Remind last couple people, of years. Remind people, sorry, what, what the NSDA is. Absolutely. The National Speech and Debate Association. Okay. It's the longest running and largest high school debate league in the country. It was founded in 1925. It, Neil Gorsuch, Elizabeth Warren, Justice Jackson, Justice Breyer, Justice Alito all competed under the NSDA. Actually, Justice Gorsuch, who came and spoke with the Incubate Debate students last summer, he was a national champion in 1982. So this, this organization changed so many lives. It changed my life. I wouldn't be any really in, in any position to even write this article or do anything had it not been the skills that high school debate instilled in me. Why do they, to your question, Michelle, why do they continue to bring these judges? Because they don't see a problem with it. That's really, as I think the simplest answer I can give is they don't see a problem with this because this is their ideology. This is what they stand for is in the name of protecting feelings and ensuring safe spaces. They want to ensure that certain judges stamp out certain types of arguments. Heaven forbid, by the way, there's a discussion about COVID and how the government responded yeah. or about so-called gender-affirming healthcare. You're never going to see those types of debates in the NSDA. And the reason why is because they consider those non-negotiable settled topics. Of course, gender-affirming healthcare is good. Of course, affirmative action is good. Of course, Israel is an evil apartheid regime. That's what they say. There's no debating that. And as you know, free speech is never settled. Debate topics are never settled. We have to constantly question and prevail and let the students participate where diversity of viewpoints are actually welcomed. Amen to that. Uh, spoken like a true debate champ yourself. Listen, is there an alternative environment for these young people to debate in? The alternative is... There's not one straight alternative. There's a number of small organizations that are cropping up. A number of homeschool networks are doing their own debate leagues. I think the biggest thing for the parents who are listening right now is it's easy to be swayed by the accolades, the scholarships, the shiny trophies, the NSDA points and graduation courts and all of that. But at the end of the day, ask yourself, is your son or daughter learning or are they merely winning? Yeah. And it's this fundamentally needs to be an educational activity. And for it to be educational, your kid has to be questioned. They have to be challenged. They have to be able to challenge other people's beliefs as a result. So Incubate Debate is an organization that I started in 2019 to do that. We've got six independent debate leagues where we are bringing free speech, merit, and diversity of viewpoints back to high school debate. One way we do that, Michelle, is we just don't tolerate the judges that the NSDA tolerates. And yeah. we do that via a citizen judge model. So instead of having former high school debaters like Lila Lavender and college debate champions like her come out and judge these debates, we actually pull from members of the community, faith-based leaders, local law enforcement, local elected officials, members of the judiciary, armed forces, business owners and operators. 
a, a wide swath of the population. They sign up. They volunteer to judge. We put them on panels. They have to agree unanimously on the ranking on who did well in that round. And you got so much perspective there. It's so puzzling why the NSDA and other organizations like it don't turn to a citizen judge model. If you were to watch some of these high school debate rounds, they are riddled with jargon, riddled with out of touch arguments that are that are read at 300 to 350 words a minute. You wouldn't think you're watching a high school debate. You think you're watching a speed talking competition uh. where every other word is hegemony, solvency, internal link, and all of that. And I think of the great <laughs> debates, Michelle. Think of Reagan Mondale, yeah. right, in 84. Think yep. of Clinton, H.W., and Perot in 92. We need debates like that. Even, even the Republican primary debates, I'm looking forward to seeing those as well, where actually ideas are going to be challenged. High school debate is a shell of its former self. Bring the merit back to it, and we're going to see really incredible results as a, as a result of that. I am so glad you are doing this, and uh, if you're ever in my neck of the woods, I'd be happy to be on a panel. Um, let you. me ask you this. You, it, it, this. This piece obviously got a lot of attention. And so that town hall, um, or this town hall, uh, that, that the free press buried, you guys put together a, a town hall about yeah. it. How did that, how did, what was the format there and, and what was it like? It went really well. It was, it was a panel. So it was two current high school debate students, one former who's now in college, but one current high school debate students, both of which are members of the NSDA and have experience competing with them. The other is a decade long debate coach at a underserved high school, largely black and Hispanic high school in Los Angeles. And these weren't, you know, I'm an unapologetic conservative, but these weren't conservatives on the panel. And but they all shared very similar frustrations hmm. with what happened to the NSDA. And I'll never forget what one young black girl named Brianna Watley shared on the panel, along with Fox News's Dana Perino a couple days before. She was going into an NSDA tournament a couple months ago in Florida. And the debate was about, pretty good topic, by the way, was about President Biden's foreign policy track record, a conversation we all ought to be having yep. in light of what's going on in Ukraine. No serious efforts at de-escalating. They are pushing for peace. The tragedy that was the Afghanistan withdrawal uh, in 2021, really important conversation to have. And before the round even started, before this young girl could even have the opportunity to speak. She was warned by her NSDA judge, don't bring up President Trump. And she's not a conservative. This was a debate where if we're going to talk about Biden's track record, we ought to be able to talk about what happened under the previous administration. Right. What was President Trump able to accomplish with the Abraham Accords in the Middle East, with the breakthrough diplomacy with North Korea, with the China phase one trade deal and so on. And not by the way, not just the positives, but also the potential drawbacks there. She was warned before the round, she was censored in silence. Don't bring up Trump. So these are just one of many, many examples that the reporting further corroborates, which is certain arguments are just not tolerated anymore in the National Speech and Debate Association. What's scary about that, too, in that example that you just mentioned is if you so you may hate President Trump with a an intensity like no other. But the fact of the matter is he was the president of the United States for four years. That's right. 
Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. If you say someone can't talk about that, you're basically erasing facts. You're erasing history. You're you're saying don't acknowledge the thing that we all know was there. And that kind of sounds like cultural revolution to me. I mean, that sounds like it's it sounds very, very it's it's a little terrifying, to be honest. I I, I can't believe that this goes on. How do you think um this you're bringing the attention to all of this is going to propel things. Do you, do you get the sense that I have this little glimmer of hope in me right now that things are starting to, people are starting to sort of go, Whoa, and having their aha moment, Kurt, you know, thanks to Oprah for that little statement, but just having their, their, their thought that, boy, this really doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem American. It doesn't seem free. So, yeah. I mean, I just wonder with your efforts and the attention you're bringing to this, if you see any kind of movement in turning the ship. I do. I actually am really, really optimistic, Michelle. And the reason why is because of the support that I got after the article. Uh, look, I was I was thrilled to have Vivek Ramaswamy and Ted Cruz and Jim Banks and the GOP Twitter account bring up the article and, and share it. I was proudest though of people like Larry Summers and Democratic Congresswoman, uh, Congressman Ro Khanna speaking out and saying, censorship of certain viewpoints is un-American. It is anti-free speech. It should never be tolerated. This is one of those issues, by the way, that's not 50-50. You know, 50% of people like Trump, 50% of people can't stand him. Free speech is fundamentally an American value that can never be compromised. And that's where you get sort of the, maybe the 80, 20 or the 90, 10 divide. Right. 80 to 90% of the people who read this article were appalled by what they read. And I'll tell you, as you know, Michelle, 90% of this country did not vote for Donald Trump and does not use the word illegal immigrant on a daily basis. Right. Yet they were appalled by what they read. Right. So the fact that there was so much backlash at the NSDA, despite by the way, when, we had the receipts, right? When I wrote this article, I had the receipts. This wasn't, yes. oh, some kid three years ago said somebody said something about being a Marxist. Right. These profiles are still public, still online to this day. The reason why is because Lila Lavender, Sabram Gupta, Kriti Shamar, who, who actually went out of their way to criticize these kids and silence free speech, they're not ashamed of what they did. They're actually proud of what they did. That's why they've left their profiles up and they continue to judge many of these judges uh, even the ones that I didn't even identify in the article, but are still very problematic. They'll be judging the national speech and debate national tournament uh, in two weeks time in Phoenix, Arizona. 
And that's really troubling that a national debate champion could become a champion because they conform to a certain ideology. But the NSDA, I asked him six times, three phone calls, three emails for comment on this piece in the lead up to it, two weeks of commenting period. They didn't get back to me once. It took them 36 hours to put together a two-page word salad. Moral of the story for your listeners, they did not condemn, they did not dismiss, they did not discipline the openly self-avowed Marxist judges. The one judge who said, if you're not white, don't talk about how certain issues affect people of color, right. which is to say, if you're a white girl from Kentucky, don't you dare talk about or be concerned about the senseless violence we're seeing in D.C., Chicago, and Baltimore. That's un-American. It stands. Every, everybody should be appalled by that. You know, think about Barack Obama. I bring it up in the piece, that famous, some would say the, the, the speech that led him to the presidency, 2004, Boston Democratic National Convention. Yep. He says, look, if there's a kid on the south side of Chicago that can't read and that's not my child, I still care if there's an Arab American family being rounded up without due process, being selectively prosecuted, we now know that that did happen with Arab American families. It's happening today with conservatives in the pro-life movement and, and mm -hmm. those who protested at the Capitol in January 6th. That still, still should offend all of us. Mm -hmm. Debate taught me as a high school student to care about issues that affected people different from me. I cared about what was happening in Haiti. I cared about what was happening in low-income communities that didn't look like mine right. because I was exposed to these viewpoints. And now you have judges saying, if you're white, don't you dare talk about things that affect black or Hispanic Americans. That's just so glimmer of hope. I'm happy that both Democrats and Republicans have acknowledged the peace, have pushed back on the viewpoint censorship. And I think we're going to get some really good alternatives. I don't think the NSDA can be reformed. I actually held out hope because this organization changed my life. Right. They can't be reformed because when you bring the receipts and say, hey, you've got self-avowed Marxists who are saying we are discriminating against certain viewpoints in a free speech forum, and they, they're not willing to step up and say, all right, we made a mistake. We own up to it. We're going to open investigation. We condemn them. They're dismissed as judges. We're never going to hire them again. That's, that's a potential. That's a glimmer of hope. They didn't do that. But much like the capitalism that Lila Lavender decries in her paradigm, I believe that capitalism is the solution here. I believe we need parallel institutions yes. that will compete with the NSDA, much like Wawa made a better food product for fast food at gas stations and 7-Eleven did. You're going to get competition, right? The iPhone was a better product than the Palm Pilot and so on. Yes. And Let's get creative destruction. The incumbents who sat on their laurels just because they've been around for 100 years doesn't mean they're right. The best ideas and the best forums for free speech ought to win in this debate. Let me shed some light on something for you. It's your dark spots. Do you see them in the mirror? The age spots, the sun spots, whatever they happen to be. They are not going to go away on their own. So introducing the dark spot remover from Genucel right in time for the Last months of summer, the dark spot corrector with not one, but three cutting edge ingredients. It goes to work to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, and even old discoloration on your hands, on your face. You're going to be amazed at how fast this works. You can now enjoy your summer sun, the beach, barbecues, picnics without the embarrassing spots. With Genucel, you'll see the results or your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. So go to genucel.com right now. Get your dark spot corrector with the new Genucel 
most popular package now featuring summer essentials like the best-selling Ultra Retinol Moisturizer with a powerful retinol alternative for safe use in the summer sun. Visit GenuCell.com slash Michelle right now for these amazing summer essentials and save 70% off GenuCell's most popular package. Don't wait. Order GenuCell's most popular package now. Free shipping, free returns, and the best luxury skincare you've ever used. At all at 70% off. Go to GenuCell, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. M-I-C-H-E-L-E. Genucell.com slash Michelle. All orders will include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. Genucell.com slash Michelle. James, it is so great to have you back after you hinted that there was another part to this series that was coming out. It is entitled Part Two at High School Debates. Watch what you say. Kids are losing high school debates because of their personal tweets. Reveals James Fishback in a new expose. All right. What are you talking about here? It's great to be back, Michelle. Thank you. And it was really a, pl- a privilege to have the opportunity to write again for the free press in this yeah. series on high school debate. I start part two off with the story of Matthew Adelstein. It was his senior year of high school, 2022. He went to the Tournament of Champions, one of the most competitive and prestigious tournaments in high school debate. The final round for him of the tournament And the topic is U.S. water policy, and he's in favor of it. So he argues, he lays out his evidence, his data, so on and so forth. And then the other team, his opponent stands up, and the first words out of his opponent's mouth are, this debate is bigger than debate. It's about stamping out violent and racist behavior in our community. Matthew's jaw dropped. He had no idea what they were talking about. They then pulled up a screenshot of a tweet that Matthew had sent a couple weeks prior that they deemed politically incorrect. And then they went on to excoriate him to call him a violent racist over the next 45 minutes in a debate, again, about U.S. water policy. Here's the worst part, Michelle. The judge sided with his opponents. Then the judge went out, humiliated and excoriated Matthew in his decision, telling him, that this event is better off with violent racists and homophobes on the outside of it. And he viewed his ballot, which is to say he viewed his decision in voting for the other team as an important step in curbing white debate behavior that is violent and racist. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm not sure that this should matter, but what was... It about this tweet that they deemed so racist and and violent. Yeah, you would have think Matthew justified slavery with this type of response. The tweet was actually a response to another tweet uh, that somebody had put out asking for opinions. And it was name something in society that you personally are against, but you feel should be legal and accepted. And then Matthew responded calling people racial and homophobic slurs. Now, Matthew is a card-carrying progressive. Ten minutes on his Twitter will show the types of interactions that he has. He tells me that he misread the part about accepted by society. He was just responding on the basis of legalities, right? Speech that we don't like, including slurs, is protected by the First Amendment. And that's why he was responding that way. But this team dug through his social media, used this post, hijacked the round, 
what was supposed to be an important debate about water policy and water resources in this country. And then the judge took it seriously and then went on to dress down Matthew as being a racist homophobe. Okay, so shame on the judge, shame on the opposing team. Um, I'm not going to say there's any shame on Matthew Edelstein because what he was calling for basically was free speech, absolute free speech in his tweet. And then his free speech is used against him in a high school debate about water. So this is a, a, a terrifying uh, story about what's happening to debate in this country. Did he have any recourse or was this it for him? This was his final high school, his final senior debate. This was the last round of debate Matthew Adelstein ever participated in. And that's tragic. It's sad. But this story is not unique to Matthew. Uh, the next part of part two for the free press I talk about a judge by the name of Zachary Wachowski in his publicly available paradigm on the National Speech and Debate Association website called Tabroom. He actually invites students to participate in the kind of behavior that Matthew's opponents did. He says, I will consider indictments, they call it, of your opponent on the basis that they said something racially insensitive or insensitive on the basis of gender. He then implores students to pull up a Facebook post or have multiple other people back up the accusation, and he will vote on this in the round. So now what you have is you have the 140,000 kids that are part of high school debate in this country looking over their shoulder, constantly living in fear. Wait, hold on a second. Did I tweet the wrong thing? Did I like the wrong tweet? Did I defend President Trump on Twitter? Did I defend RFK on Twitter? And is that now going to be thrown in my face on a debate on NATO involvement or on policing? This is antithetical to debate, Michelle, but more than anything, it's un-American. It absolutely is. Uh, as, as coincidence would have it, I spent a, a part of my day earlier before I spoke to you uh, talking to two people who are formerly from China, now live in America, understand what communism looks like, what Marxism looks like. And they and this is the perfect example of how it is creeping into our free society. And I think that people are in such denial that anything like this could actually happen in America that they don't they take these stories as little one offs. Oh, this is one judge and this is one debate and this is one high school student. But as you've exemplified, this is this is not just one thing. And, and, and by the way, it can start with one, just like it started with one transgender athlete and it can build and it can build. And if people are in denial and think that it's no big thing, we will allow it to build. Uh, about 12 hours ago, maybe a little longer, you had a spaces event on Twitter to talk about because you've gotten a load of reaction to these to these two articles on debate. What was this? What was the reaction on this this Spaces event on Twitter? Yeah, this is the great thing about the the free platform that Twitter has become is that you actually can have open debates about important issues. I invited everyone, those who supported the article and the very few people that criticized it, to have an open discussion where we could actually have a debate about debate. I was shocked at the way that the people who crit criticized my article justified their criticism. One student who is a nationally ranked Lincoln-Douglas debater said that when students argue for capitalism, that is, quote, rhetorically violent, justifying, Michelle, the judge Lila Lavender in part one, who said that if you are pro-capitalism, 
I will not vote for you. Or the judge in part two, John Hollihan, who says that I'm extremely skeptical of capitalism. You better do a lot of convincing. Why isn't he extremely skeptical of socialism or Marxism? Why is capitalism uniquely held to the highest standard where you have to get everything right to win his vote? To your point about China, by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy has a great uh, way of thinking about this. Look, you can say anything about the Chinese Communist Party. What you can't do is you can't call them hypocrites. Because to be a hypocrite, you have to have believed in something in the first place. The Chinese have never said they believed in free speech. They have never said they believe in freedom of expression. Therefore, while it is abhorrent, it still is not hypocrisy. This country was set in motion nearly 250 years ago on the basis of free speech and open debate. Every turning point in our nation's history, from the Declaration of Independence to the Constitutional Convention to the Civil Rights Movement, back to the Civil War, every turning point happened because we had an open conversation where dissenting views were allowed. This is the mother of all hypocrisy, that in high school debate, debate is not allowed. Capitalism, you can't support it. Policing, you can't support them, even if you have all the evidence. These judges tell you, you will lose, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's, it's it's so insane that you're kind of left dumbfounded and thinking, what do I even say about this? Because it, it speaks for itself. It's like, so it's a full frontal attack on free speech and debate, full frontal. And it, and and so you you ask yourself about the organization and and I'm so glad you have an alternative called Incubate Debate. It's dot com, right? Or is it dot org? It's both. We got our bases okay. covered. Well done. Incubate Debate, which is a wonderful name because you're you're encouraging actual debate. Um, it, you got, as we mentioned, loads of res- responses to your first part. Part two made me even madder, I think, if I could have been madder than I was after reading part one. Outside of your Twitter spaces uh, reaction last night, what's been the general sort of feedback that you've gotten? Well, the general feedback has been almost exclusively positive about the reporting, but negative about where high school debate is today. Mm -hmm. My reporting is self-evident. It's really not about my opinion. It is about the judges in question and their direct verbatim quotes on publicly available NSDA paradigms, these statements where they tell students before the round, hey, you know, if, if you're white, don't run arguments that affect people of color, that kind of nonsense. What I would say is we're still waiting for a reaction from the National Speech and Debate Association. Where on earth are they when you have judges coming forward telling students that you can't make certain types of arguments. One thing that the set part two as well did, uh, Michelle, is it tied in this war on gendered language on social issues in high school debate. At the 2019 NSDA National Tournament, there's an event called Congressional Debate. It's where if you and I were competing, we would pretend to be members of Congress. You would be Miss Tafoya. I would be Mr. Fishback, much like Uh, Mr. Graham and Mr. Booker might refer to themselves in a congressional hearing, but they have a new rule beginning in 2019, which is as quoted by the NSDA parliamentarian, I quote, do not want to hear Mr. or Miss from anyone. We need to learn to respect the differences of the people here. 
they're declaring war on gendered language. Because in the subtlest of ways, Michelle, it validates that sex, as you and I and everyone knows, is binary. And so here we go again. This is an organization that will penalize students if they refer to their competitor as Mr. Last Name or Miss Last Name. I, I wonder how we got here after so many years of accepting biology as science, yeah. the chromosomal differences between men, men and women, that gender is binary, um, that suddenly now in a debate setting, you have to disavow that, that fact and, and that people, adults in the room, are imposing these rules. Um, it's like they're it's like they're creating their own little snow globe, and inside that snow globe, you better operate by their rules, or you're kicked out. I mean, you're basically like you you said about Adelstein, just chastised and 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 thrown under the bus. Um, how do you suppose we got here? High school debate has has never been a conservative activity. It's always been somewhat progressive, and that's because the people who uh, coach high school debate, go to PhD programs in communications, and those typically those people typically are are on the center left or even further out. I think this particular moment in the National Speech and Debate Association's history is fraught for two reasons. One, the 2016 election, which took this tribalism that's been simmering in America for decades and amplified it, mm-hmm. and and essentially it's the ends justify the means, right? If your ideology is fascist, is homophobic, is racist, is xenophobic, then there's nothing that we can't do to justify stamping it out. That's what they believe, mm-hmm. right? That's what they believe. And so when, when, when you believe that Trump is Hitler, when you believe that the people who have questions about the 2020 election or about vaccines or about maybe we shouldn't have locked down as long as we did and pushed largely underserved communities to study from home. And by the way, you know this, Michelle, the the results on national testing speak for themselves. Yes. They don't want to have a debate on that. So when all of that is labeled fascist and racist and xenophobic and all of that, then guess what? There is nothing that the NSDA can't do to justify stamping it out. And look, I'm all for, I'm an unapologetic conservative, but at the end of the day, when I'm a debate judge, the best argument wins. Yeah. And if that argument is socialism, if that argument is open borders, heck, if that argument is defunding the police, if you lay it out with solid reasoning, evidence, and logic, and your opponent does not respond with refutation and rebuttal, then you by default win. It's, it's really that simple. But look, I'm not here as a conservative. I'm here as a free speech absolutist yeah. saying that it's not about my ideas being involved in the debate for the sake of them being involved. Uh, or on their merit, it's because conservative viewpoints, like progressive viewpoints, deserve to be heard. There's a reason why last night a nationally ranked high school debate coach said on the space, said on the space, when we were talking about a potential debate on systemic racism, he said, having a counter argument to systemic racism is like saying you have a counter argument to the sky is blue. There's nothing you could say. So in their mind, they truly believe, Michelle, that there is nothing on the other side, that these are sacred arguments. And to question these ideas, which are settled in their mind, is sacrilegious. I'll tell you, there is nothing settled 
about so-called gender-affirming care. There's nothing settled about abortion or about affirmative action. These are some of the most divisive, philosophically intricate issues that face our country. And they're pretty much saying, settled subject, book closed, shut up, don't question it. And if you do, we're going to essentially kick you out. And in doing so, hopefully silence you. I mean, I think in, in right. ultimately they want to silence any dissenters to their to their ideologies uh, that you just outlined. And it is so freaking scary to me that this this national organization that oversees these high school debates is staying silent. I wonder if they're thinking uh, this will pass. People will start to ignore it. The story will, you know, the, the, the news cycle will overrun and, and we don't have to worry about it. Or if they just have no good answer, yeah. I, I, what is your plan going forward in terms of I, you've got incubate debate, which is a, an, another option for students, which I hope sure. many, many people flock to. But w- how else can you progress this story to keep it in front of eyeballs? This is this. Damn it. This is scary. This is scary stuff. This is absolutely scary stuff. Let me take the first question about why the NSDA is not responding. Here's okay. my theory. The NSDA has two stakeholders. The first are their donors who don't want anything to do with this kind of behavior. These are donors, by the way, that include the Council on Foreign Relations, the Reagan Presidential Library, a lot of big, big names in the world of philanthropy and politics. But on the other hand, their stakeholders are the students and the judges, the ones on the Twitter space last night who decry and denounce any type of pro-capitalism, pro-police, pro-Israel type of argumentation. They cannot please both. They are stuck between the Scylla and the Charybdis of this issue. If they appease their donors, which is probably the right thing to do, which is to remove, denounce this type of ideological political judging, stop being a neo-Marxist organization, return to your roots of free speech and open debate, that's the right thing to do. They'll please their donors. They are going to launch a full-scale insurrection from the students and the coaches who, again, like the one girl who ended our space last night, who's actually a current high school debater, who went on a tangent by saying that if her competitors refer to her team as you guys, that is, quote, violent speech. If they saw, and this is a, this was a rising sophomore, Michelle, a rising sophomore who said that there's nothing wrong with apologizing for using you guys because it is inherently violent. That's what we're dealing with here. That's what we're dealing with. Or the one person who said, how dare you let the other person talk about immigration that way? Look, it's not my place. It's not the NSDA's place to block any particular viewpoint. They have one job and one job alone. It's to be a forum, a competition where ideas compete with one another. And if your idea is so bad and so bankrupt, the other team responds and discredits it. It's not up to you or me as the judge, Michelle, to come in and say, you know what? That idea may have had the best evidence, may have technically won the round in front of us, but that idea is actually racist, homophobic, xenophobic. I can't vote for it. (laughs) I just really hope that you continue to to ring this bell. It it can't be rung enough as far as I'm concerned, because, you know, we've seen parents are starting to see what's going on in schools. But now when you send a debate team to represent a, an entire student body out to debate 
And there's no debate, really, because this this isn't debate as as it's defined. Um, right. you, you ought to be. I, I so the the words I want to use. I'm trying to keep it clean here because my daughter's in the other room. But you ought to be furious about yeah. this. I, I mean, Congress that debates, courts that debate. Uh, right. Presidents don't often debate anymore. I don't know that we're going to have a debate with Joe Biden anytime soon. But that, and that's probably why because right. uh, these are ideas that are supposed to be built, uh, defended. With evidence and argument, as you say, and and impact, and yet th- this is this is insane. Debate is about civility. It's about diversity of viewpoints, and it's ultimately about coming together, not to convince you or me that we're thinking the wrong way about something or to persuade us to abandon our beliefs, but it's about getting us to think. You know, if if the debaters who say that capitalism is rhetorically violent, had to go up against a debate where people from the Indian subcontinent have seen what capitalism has done. People in sub-Saharan Africa, the bottom billion that's been lifted out of poverty because of free markets and capitalism. Why don't you go over to those countries and tell those people who are living longer than they've ever been living, who are seeing incomes higher than they've ever been, who are seeing infant mortality at rates 90% lower than at the beginning of the 1900s, go tell them that capitalism is rhetorically violent and see what they say back to you. You put things so well. I love talking to you so much. And, you know, this isn't, folks, this isn't just in this high school debate arena. We see Riley Gaines speaking out for keeping women's sports female and another female writer from USA Today calls her a bigot, but won't call her on the phone and interview her and debate in a column. Why? Right. Why won't she do that? The great right. article in Tablet we talked about earlier this week on the show, the right way to debate vaccines or we can just keep calling each other Hitler. Yeah, you know, what's more right. productive? It, it's it, so this isn't just in one space. This is permeating all issues in America, and it's terrifying. And I'm so glad you are bringing this to the fore. I hope you keep this series up. I really do. I hope you do another Twitter Spaces and another one and another one. And I hope you get booked on every show that is available to you because this this story is so important. And it has so many tentacles and people need to hear it. So keep up the good work, James. I'm so glad to have you again. Thank you so much for Michelle. It's a real pleasure. If you come out with part three, you're coming back to the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, like James, be brave and do good. We'll see you next time. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.